What's up, guys? Welcome to the Engage JSU podcast. We are an on-campus ministry here at Jacksonville State University. We want to see God's kingdom come here at JSU as it is in heaven. Well, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up again to the book of Ephesians. We're going to continue our series, God's Plan, in the book of Ephesians. We'll be in Ephesians chapter 2, and we'll be looking at tonight verses 11 through 22. So Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. Now, I want to talk a little bit about something different we'll do tonight in the sermon as we look at Ephesians 2. So the end of Ephesians 2, in chapter 3... And chapter 4, I believe, kind of go together. So I'll really be primarily teaching from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. We'll dip into chapter 3. And then I think that chapter 4, Paul starts to apply what he's taught us in chapters 2 and 3. So we'll get the meat of what Paul is saying in verses 11 through 22 of chapter 2. And then we'll dip our toe into chapter 3, and then we'll look at how this applies to our life from chapter 4. So, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands... Remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility." And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Let's pray. Dear Father, thank you for showing us in Ephesians what Christ has done for us. Thank you for showing yourself mighty to save. Thank you for showing us how glorious your grace is. Father, I pray as we continue in Ephesians, you would continue to show us how marvelous and wonderful you are. 
that you would continue to strengthen us for our walk. Father, that you would continue to give us wisdom, that you would continue to make us want to follow Christ more and more and more through what we read and what we hear tonight. Father, we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. So when I was in seminary, uh, I, I moved to Louisville. I'm originally from Mobile. I moved to Louisville, Kentucky um, as a single man. And so I, instead of moving married like so many do, I moved into the dorms. And eventually I found a roommate. And me and this roommate, we were really similar. We got along really well. We were really laid back, really chill. Uh, we were so chill, in fact, that one day when our smoke alarm started beeping, neither one of us really did anything about it. And it wasn't going off like there's actually a fire, but it was just every couple of minutes it would beep. Some of you kind of have been through this, uh, but it was so infrequent that we started to forget about it. Every once in a while, we would look at each other and say, is that thing still beeping? And the other person would say, yeah, and then we kind of go back to whatever we were doing. All that it really needed was it needed the battery to be replaced. And really it was kind of dangerous for us to keep ignoring it, but we did. Eventually, one day, one of our uh, friends from down the hall came to sit in our room to hang out. And he was like, what is that beeping? What are you guys doing? You need to change that thing. And so out of shame, we <laughs> eventually changed our smoke alarm battery. And uh, it, it's similar to what we see in Ephesians chapter 2. Our peace in our room was disturbed by this annoying beep. And we see that peace is disturbed in a different way in Ephesians chapter 2. It's not a minor annoyance that we see, but rather the peace that is disrupted is a great chasm between us and God caused by sin. But tonight I want us to see that all along God has had a plan to give us peace. And so if you're a note taker, the main idea I want you to get from tonight is that since God has reconciled us to himself in Christ, we must live at peace and walk in unity. Since God has reconciled us to himself in Christ, we must live at peace and walk in unity. So there's two ways that we live at peace and walk in unity from Ephesians chapter two. The first way is as the new people of God. The second way is as the new dwelling of God. We live in peace and walk in unity first as the new people of God. So what do I mean we walk in unity as the new people of God? Well, in verse 11, in Ephesians, Paul sets up another contrast. See, back before when we talked about a contrast, we talked about our personal lives before Christ and then what happens and then what our life is like after coming to Christ. But then here in Ephesians 2.11, we, we get another 
contrast. Paul says that there's a whole group of people that were alienated from God. He calls them the uncircumcision. He calls them Gentiles. And so when we come to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11, the first thing we need to understand is what a Gentile is. And the, the grand idea behind a Gentile, it's really simple. A Gentile is just somebody who is not Jewish. And so as you think about Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 11 through 22, you might wonder, well, why is Paul highlighting what the Gentiles were before Christ? I mean, we just, were, we just were shown that we were dead in our trespasses. We became alive in Christ. If you're not familiar with the whole Bible, you might not understand why Paul starts going into Jews and Gentiles and circumcision. What, what's going on here? Well, I think Paul, in highlighting the hostility that existed between Jews and Gentiles, Paul is doing two things. He's, he's again inspired by the Holy Spirit, showing us this great salvation that we've been saved with. Most of us in this room probably don't have Jewish heritage. Some of us might, but many of us don't. And so what Paul is doing is he's showing the Gentiles, not only were they once dead in their trespasses and sins, but he's showing them that as a people, they were far off from God. Well, what do I mean by that? Let's take a little bit of a tour through the Old Testament and see what Paul is talking about. He, he says that we were alienated. Gentiles were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise. So what in the world are these covenants of promise? Well, if you've ever heard of Abraham, God made a covenant with him. And really, that just means that he entered into a relationship with him. God said, I am going to bless you. And through you, I'm going to bless the rest of the world. And God tells Abraham that he's going to make him a great nation. He's going to give him many kids and grandkids. He's going to make him, he's going to make him so that he has a great name in the world. And he's going to give this great nation that he makes him a land. And the sign that you belonged to Abraham was circumcision. And so by the time we get to Exodus chapter 1, after we finish reading all of that story about God starting this covenant with Abraham, Exodus 1-7 says this, The people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. We would also see God keeping his promise to Abraham that he would give him a land. They settled in the land of Canaan. But one thing was actually wrong in Exodus 1. Because if you're familiar at all with the story of the Bible, you know that Israel becomes enslaved in Egypt. So they're slaves in Egypt. And God comes to them and he frees them from Egypt. 
And he makes a covenant with this people through Moses that he would give them a law. And if they lived by his law, he would bless them. And as his people, Israel was supposed to love and worship God. They were supposed to represent God on earth. They were supposed to bless other nations by being blessed by God and being a blessing. Similar to the way that Adam, when he was created, was created to represent God on earth, to be a blessing to the rest of creation, to lead it and guide it because he knew God. And just like Adam, Israel failed. They they didn't worship God. They didn't love God. They weren't a blessing to the world. But then out of Israel comes this king. And his name is David. And he's a giant killer, a Goliath killer. And so there's great hope in this King David. Would he be the one to set Israel straight? Maybe if he lived righteously, he could represent Israel as a whole. In fact, God makes a covenant with David that if he would be a good king, God would establish his throne forever, that he would have someone sit on his throne and rule Israel forever. But if you're familiar with the story of David, we know that David fails. And eventually, God would speak to the people of Israel through prophets, and he would tell them that there was coming a day when there would be a good and perfect king who would represent him perfectly in all things, that he would lead people perfectly. In fact, the Bible says through the prophets that there would come a day where the people would walk in righteousness just like their king. God would keep his promise to Israel. He would not let them down. But up until this point, we realize something's missing. Gentiles. Where are Gentiles in this whole story? God's making a nation. He's blessing the nation. They're not listening to him. He's sending prophets. He's sending kings. What about the Gentiles? Well, they're not part of the story. See, Gentiles had been left out. If you weren't Jewish, you had no hope in the world being alienated from God and his covenants. That's why Paul is highlighting this. And not only were they kind of left out of the story, the the Jews had actually been told, don't eat with them, don't marry them, and definitely don't worship like they worship. So we see Paul setting up this contrast again, and how does he finish it? But now, verse 13, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. God, in fulfilling his promise to Israel, sends a king who would represent him perfectly. And this king was God. 
He establishes a new kingdom through his cross. And then something kind of crazy in the Jewish mind happens. This new king that comes and sets up a new kingdom, this king who is God in the flesh, the Messiah who would save Israel, he dies and he opens the kingdom to Gentiles. And Paul wants you to show this grand sweeping narrative of the Bible. And he wants you to see that without this Jesus, we were having no hope in the world. We were alienated. We were strangers to the covenant. But now in Christ Jesus, we have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And I told you I'd dip into chapter 3. Look down at chapter 3, verses 8. Paul actually recognizes that one of his jobs, along with the other apostles, his job specifically was to preach the gospel to Gentiles. And he says this in verse 8. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. And so what we come to find out in Ephesians is not just where we predestined before the foundations of the world, But even before the foundations of the world, God had this plan that he kept hidden for ages that the Gentiles would be included in his plan of salvation. And Paul says because of that, because of that great glorious truth that you're now included, there ought to be no division. No division among you. You who were far off have been brought near. Earlier this year, my wife and I decided to watch the first season of Survivor. Just for fun. We thought, you know what? I see that hand. (laughs) We thought, you know what? Why not? Let's check out what's going on in Survivor. Uh, The first season will be like a blast of the past. And it really was. I was 10 when Survivor first came out, and uh, it, was, it was such a weird show at the time, and looking back, it was even somehow weirder. And uh, the first season, or maybe the second season, there was kind of a plot twist in the show. So uh, everybody had been part of their tribe. They had been, the whole group had been separated into two tribes, and they were fighting against each other. They were, they were, uh, they had challenges against one another, and all these strategies within the tribe started started cropping up and everybody was able to find alliances and, and, and vote people off. And then midway through the season, they just took the tribes and just mixed them up. And everybody's strategy was shattered. 
They had to get along in a new tribe where they didn't have alliances and they didn't have friendships. And it's similar to what we see happening in Ephesians chapter 2. The dividing wall of hostility is broken down in Christ. And we might be sitting here today thinking, well, I don't really have a dividing hostility to a Jew and a Gentile. I just learned what a Gentile was five minutes ago. How does this apply to me? Well, when we get to chapter 4, after Paul goes through this entire mystery, he starts applying it. And in chapter 4, verses 1, he says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And so while you might not have hostility in your heart towards Jews or Gentiles, unity is something that should mark all Christians. Now let's be clear, Paul here is talking to the church in Ephesus. He's primarily talking to that local church there. But unity as described here in these characteristics, gentleness, humility, patience, bearing with one another in love, that should characterize each and every one of us as Christians. We can all apply this to our lives, knowing the great salvation that God has saved us with. We are called to walk in a manner worthy of this calling. And it doesn't really matter the context, right? Engage isn't a local church, but even as you're serving with people, with other Christians at Engage, there should be a spirit of unity working in you. At your local church that you're a part of, at home, at work, whatever context you find yourself in, you should be striving for unity, And Paul gives us the formula, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love. All of these things are things that are very hard to do when someone sins against you. How do you have the humility to overlook a wrong, the the gentleness to correct sin with love, the, the patience to bear with a sinner just like you. You find it in the power of the Holy Spirit that we as Christians have been given. You find it because this King Jesus, who has crushed the dividing wall of hostility, leads the way in how you should walk. But not only do we see that we're a new people of God from Ephesians chapter 2, we also see that we live at peace and walk in unity as the new dwelling place of God. Do you see there in verse 21? The whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. 
in him, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And so what Paul is highlighting for us here is that not only is there a new people of God, but there's a new place where God would dwell with this new people. Because before sin entered the world in the Garden of Eden, God dwelled among the people uninhibited. And because of sin, we were, Adam and Eve were banished from God's presence. But then just as we saw as God established covenants with Israel and the kings of Israel, he also established his presence among them. Exodus 25, 8 says this, And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. Exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all of its furniture, so you shall make it. Listen to what God says to King Solomon in building the temple of Israel. Now the word of the Lord came to Solomon concerning this house that you're building. If you will walk in my statutes and obey my rules and keep all my commandments and walk in them, then I will establish my word with you, which I spoke to David your father, and I will dwell among the children of Israel and will not forsake my people Israel. And so in this promise of temple in the life of Israel, really what we're seeing is the promise of the imminence of God with his people. We know that God isn't contained by a building. God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. He sees everything, but he makes his presence felt, especially with his people. And he does this through temple. And what does Paul say in Ephesians? So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. So not only has God made a new people, but he's establishing his presence on earth. And he's doing it through you and I, through believers, through those gathered believers in the church. The church, Ephesians says, displays the manifold wisdom of God to the world and to the heavenly places. So through the church, through God dwelling with his people, we are displaying the manifold wisdom of God that through centuries of God working with Israel, eventually he would dwell in his people and make them temples of him. Isn't that beautiful? 
You know, I was telling you guys about my roommate in seminary and how we were both kind of chill and we both got along pretty well. And uh, one of the things that we were both pretty chill about was having mess in the room. Now, I will say we weren't dirty, but we just didn't really care if there was a pile of clothes here, a pile of books here. It wasn't like old banana peels on the floor or anything. But when I got married, some of you already know where this is going. I, I had to unlearn some of those bad habits of bro time in the dorm. When I got married, I had a new dwelling partner. And with it came a new standard. And it's similar to what we see in Ephesians here. What we see in the gospel. Now we have God dwelling with us. The Holy Spirit lives in us. We are a temple of God. And that means that we have a new standard for the way that we live. We're to walk in peace and in unity and humility and patience. But in chapter 4, if we keep going, Paul lists some things that we ought to do. And he actually links it to not being just Gentiles anymore. See that? In verse 17 in chapter 4 of Ephesians, Paul says this, Now I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. So he's connecting this back to what happened in chapter 2. You, the dividing walls broken down, we're one in Christ. In Christ, we have a relationship with God the Father. We're indwelled by the Holy Spirit. Now, don't keep walking like you're a Gentile. In the futility of their minds, they are darkened in their understanding, in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. And so the, the very thing that Paul says that we have been saved from, those without faith in Christ, they're, they're still darkened in their understanding. They're, they're still alienated from the life of God. They're not going to walk as we ought to walk, who were once far off but have been brought near. And in chapter 4, Paul lists a bunch of negative things that we shouldn't do anymore. He says, put off these things, put off the old man, the, the ways of the Gentiles that you once walked in, and, and put on the new man. So he gives a list of things that you just shouldn't do anymore as a Christian, and then he gives a list of things that you should do instead. He says, don't be greedy. Don't be callous. Don't walk in sensuality like the Gentiles do. He says, stop lying. Tell the truth. D don't steal. Don't be full of filthy speech, but rather fill your speech with blessing and building up. He, he says to let go of bitterness and wrath and anger and clamoring. And he says all of these things and connects it 
back to an idea that we saw in chapter two. He says that these things grieve the Holy Spirit that's dwelling in us. You've been filled with the Spirit. You're a new person. Those things grieve God when you do them. And then he says, instead of doing those things, we ought to walk in truth. Speak the truth in love. Instead of stealing work to earn enough money to be generous. He says to give grace. Be kind. Don't be callous, but be tenderhearted. Forgive as Christ forgave. Paul wants us to imitate Christ By the power of the Holy Spirit. He calls us not to walk as we once did. We were dead, but we've been made alive. There was a dividing wall of hostility. We were strangers, aliens. You look at this Bible, you realize like two-thirds of it, no Gentiles. Paul says, remember this grace that you've been given. You are a new creation in Christ. Walk in a manner worthy of that creation. But the Bible actually doesn't end there. Because when we come to Revelation, we actually see something even more glorious that the manifold wisdom of God would be shown through the church in this age. But in the age to come, look at what Revelation chapter 21 says. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty in the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light, Will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Listen, we're made temples and priests in this new covenant of Christ, our King. And we're going to a place that's so filled with the presence of God that there's no temple in that city. Maybe you hear this message and you think to yourself, what a beautiful future, but I don't know it. I'm still dead in my trespasses and sins. I'm still walking in them. I'm still alienated from the covenants and the promises of God. I don't know this Christ. Well, this God who includes Gentiles in his plan as a mystery throughout history revealed in Christ, he dies for sinners. This king who came didn't come as a conquering king, but came as a suffering servant. 
that by his blood you could be drawn near. And Paul tells us in chapter 2 that it's by grace through faith that we find ourselves in Christ, indwelled by the Holy Spirit. And so if you don't know Christ, put your faith in him and have your relationship with God restored. Let's pray. Dear Father, thank you so much for revealing to us your mystery, your kindness, your plan from all eternity, God, that even the heavenly beings would say, wow, this God is wise. He's wise. Who could have thought of such a plan? And Father, those who are trusting Christ know that we're included in that plan. At the right time, Christ died for sinners, those who were near and those who were far off. That together, we could be the temple of God. And it points us to a day where we would dwell with you forever in your presence, bright shining as the sun. Father, thank you for this. We praise your glorious grace. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.